if this is going to work. There it is. Good morning, New Heights Church. What a privilege to be a part of this family for such a time as this. Wow. I mean, seriously, do you know where you're at? Do you know who you're a part of? This is an incredible opportunity. Uh, and I am uh, deeply privileged to have the opportunity to share God's word with us this morning. And I just briefly just want to say um, and honor our directional leaders, Lee and Jim, and, um, and the other communicators that come up week in and week out. And the quality of instruction that's coming forth from this platform is world-class and, and unlike anything I've ever been a part of. And I'm just so honored and so grateful to be a part of that. Can we give them a hand? Thank you guys so much for your leadership. Thank you for dedicating yourself to this house. It's meaningful and uh, we don't take it for granted, right church? Amen. I wouldn't typically start like this, but there's something we need to wrestle with, um, especially those of us living in Northwest Arkansas. I mean, what sort of people have we become when we allow the Sooners and the Longhorns to become part of the SEC? Really, I, Jeb, I need to talk about this. This is, this is serious. When we allow those from the other conference in, here, here's my only hope is that they are not coming over until 2025. And so if you ever needed evidence that the Lord's coming soon, he will come before 2025. It's not going to happen. There's no way. Micah, um, I know you're a Longhorns fan, so I just want everybody to do this real quick. I'm just kidding. Don't do it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, I want to read a short quote that I came across this week. It says this. It's on your screen. It says, last year, when we came to the end of the year, we probably all thought that this year would be decisively further along and would be when see more clearly. Now it's questionable at the very least whether this hope has come true. It almost seems to me as if we must come to terms with it over the long haul to live more deeply out of the past and the present and that means out of gratitude than from any vision of the future. I thought, wow, what a relevant quote right here, right now. But it was written in 1940 by Dietrich Bonhoeffer Three days after Christmas, during World War II, one of the most horrific periods of the 21st, the 20th century. And I thought about that, and I thought, for followers of Jesus, it's no secret, no surprise that fear is trying to grip us again in this season of history. Here we are, we're back at that place, and fear is trying to drown out the voice of faith. It's okay to say Amen. You feel it. We feel it. Fear is no stranger to any one of us. In fact, last night, midnight, I'm sitting there thinking, if I'm the devil, if I'm the enemy, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a spider in Josh's bed, and he's not going to sleep tonight, okay? That's what I would do. Well, I'm like, well, that's so stupid. Just go to sleep, Josh. Just go to sleep. It's a true story. And I'm, I'm, I'm laying there, and all of a sudden, Cassandra, like, leaps out of the bed. She's like, something's in my hair. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And we look, and, you know, we're under the, the covers, and we're shaking stuff out, and stuff's flying everywhere. And we're like, nothing. I think there may be, like, a little, I don't know. We, we didn't know what it was. It wasn't a, a spider. And then all of a sudden, I'm about to get back into my bed, and I flip my pillow over, and this gigantic spider's on the backside of my pillow. People, Pray. This is serious. I do not like spiders. My kids know this is, this is not funny. 
But I thought about it. I thought, wow, what an incredible moment. I'm, I'm sitting there at midnight going, I really need to get some sleep. And I'm like, you know, I'm speaking about fear tomorrow. I'm speaking about for such a time as this. And that's a perfect opportunity for me to just get back in my bed, lay my head on the pillow and trust Jesus. And that's exactly what I did. And to be honest, slept like a baby. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to disconnect us from a spirit of fear. Can we do that? I want to disconnect from a spirit of fear and reconnect our hearts to the same courage, the same capacity that we find in the story of Mordecai and Esther. Mordecai and Esther. Um, this story is a discipleship story. It's a, it's a leadership story. And I'm convinced that every great discipleship story leans upon a leadership story. And leadership stories are built upon courageous acts in spite of fear. I don't think it's any surprise, but this is, this is an hour, it's an important hour for us to be responsive to the spirit of faith that God is pouring forth. Because when the enemy pours forth a spirit of fear, I believe with all of my heart that God is ahead of that. He's preempted that. He's prepared us with his word to be prepared. And I just want to say this, and Brad, you said it as well. It's no accident that you are in this place around these people watching online for such a time as this. It's no accident. God has written every day of your life in his book. They were ordained and ordered and numbered according to Psalm 139. And so I'd like to just, maybe the most important thing we're gonna do this morning is connect with heaven. I'd like to pray. So join me in prayer real quick. Father, we ask that you would teach us and mark us with your vision, your truth, your boldness for this season of history. Activate us towards your purposes for our lives. And right now we take up the shield of faith to extinguish the fiery darts of fear that are being thrown at us by the enemy. We believe, God, we believe that you have chosen us for such a time as this. And we say, thank you. Thank you for the privilege in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. So the story of Esther and Mordecai reminds us that destiny is connected to discipleship. And that is absolutely the one thing I want you to remember walking away today. Your destiny is connected to this relationship that Jesus made so important. It was the last thing that he talked about on planet earth. And I believe that God's destiny for each of us, each of our lives individually and somewhat collectively will unfold through what I'm calling today this traveler and tour guide relationship um, of discipleship. The destiny of Esther was connected to Mordecai. Mordecai's destiny rested on the courage of Esther. The destiny of the Jewish nation was reliant upon their relationship. Really incredible how the Lord used this relationship. We're going to get into that. But I want you to really feel the weight of this as we look into the word. Your destiny, my destiny, hangs in the balance of how seriously I respond or we respond to Jesus' call to be a disciple and to make disciples. Let that sink in. He is wrapped up in his sovereignty that answers faith, courage, 
love, all the fruits of the spirit, all the things he wants to give to you are wrapped up inside this thing he calls the discipleship relationship. As a disciple of Jesus, you are Esther. You're a traveler and you need a tour guide. You need a tour guide. As a disciple, you're also Mordecai, okay? You're a tour guide and you need travelers. You need people that you're bringing along with you. And and I think sometimes we only look at it one way. But if you look at the, the relationship between Mordecai and Esther, he needed her just as much as she needed him. And their relationship unlocked God's purpose in the earth. Pretty incredible. That's what discipleship's all about. But there's a problem, and Jesus probably would have summarized it this way in the 2021 modern day version. He would have said, the travelers are great. The Esthers are great. There's a lot of courage in this generation. The tour guides are few. So although this talk is both about being a disciple and making disciples, you're going to discover my bent is going to be towards the tour guides. Raise up, oh Mordecai. Like it's time for us to stand in our place and be a tour guide for this generation. If you ever go to Lima, Peru, we lived there for two and a half years, my family and I. You're gonna notice that there's travel agencies on every corner of the city. And rightly so, one of the great wonders of the world, Machu Picchu is in this nation. It's a hot spot for travelers. However, as you dig into the landscape of the travel agencies, you're gonna discover something. The travel agencies are abundant, but the tour guides are few. The tour guides are few. There are lots of people willing to give you information, tell you where to go, where to stay, what you can expect. However, there are few people who will pay a price of time and energy and money to travel with you. The travelers are great, but the tour guides are absolutely few. Jesus said the harvest is great, but the workers are few. That's Matthew 9, 38 and Luke 10, 2. That's an important passage of scripture for our season and for our church. We exist to raise up tour guides, to raise up workers, to mobilize. Morgan, thank you for saying yes. Incredible. Thank you for saying yes to being a tour guide. And it's not just about those who are being sent overseas. It's about us right here. Every single one of us have a role to play. I'll get into that more. But being a disciple of Jesus is saying yes to becoming both traveler and tour guide. We're not called to be travel agents, only giving out information without experience. That's not gonna get it done. That's not gonna get it done. So um, Jesus says in Mark 1.17, and I love this, understand this is one breath that he makes this statement. He says, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. He identifies them both there as a traveler and a tour guide. And he didn't wait until they had it all together before they were invited and expected to participate with him in kingdom activity. Can I ask you a personal question right now? I'm gonna do this a couple of times. What are you waiting for? Are you waiting to have it all together because you're never gonna get there? Can I just invite you to begin to participate in a new way, in a fresh way? Jesus is inviting you into his story and it matters. It matters the way that you respond. Your destiny and the destiny of so much hangs in the balance of us responding to Jesus' call to be a disciple and to make disciples. I love Kevin Rusek's definition of discipleship. He says this, he says, it's that we follow Jesus 
to become more like Jesus so that we can participate with Jesus in his kingdom. Everybody say this. Say, destiny is connected to discipleship. There is a why to the what here that we need to, to, to point out. There's a cause behind the call. And, and is it possible, Noah, I've been thinking about you this week. Is it possible that one of the reasons the current generation might be bored with Jesus is because they're not sure that he's going anywhere? They're just not sure he's taking a trip. And they want to go somewhere. They want to take a, take a, a quest they want to be involved in the danger. That's what we were made for. We were made for this. Could it be that there's no destiny attached and therefore there's little discipleship attached? There is a why to what of following Jesus and we are invited to participate in bringing heaven to earth through our relationship, hearing from Jesus and obeying his command in real time, live, live obedience in the moment. And when we do, heaven comes to earth. I've seen it over and over and over again in my life. It's a privilege to be connected with heaven, but there's a purpose behind it so that heaven can come to earth. And that's what the stuff revival is made of. When an entire group of people catch this vision that we are living real time connected to Jesus, discipled by him, encouraged by the body, we get this chance to collectively bring heaven to a city. It's incredible. Without participation, discipleship lacks context. Okay? Participation is gigantic. And all I'm going to be able to do in this book of Esther is scratch the surface of the significance and the meaning attached to the story. But I believe this is a right now story, a discipleship story. And I want to encourage you, go read the book of Esther, which I would have called the book of Mordecai if it was me. Because I think it's about Mordecai more than it's about Esther, if I'm honest. Look at the last chapter of the book. I'll leave that to you, all right? Leave that to you. But all I'm going to be able to do is scratch the surface. Uh, listen, it was a dangerous time for God's people. Leadership was rare. The people of God were no doubt suffering from tremendous trauma. Mordecai and his Jewish relatives, including Esther, had been carried away from their home into captivity to the land of Babylon. And he was a captive in a foreign land. And if anyone had an excuse to be overwhelmed with discouragement, it was Mordecai. He had a good excuse to be overwhelmed. He was a captive in a foreign land. He was very familiar with trauma, anxiety. He was familiar with fear. He understood. He would resonate with where we are in our society in a big way. He would say, I get it. I lived that story. I lived that story. So, in the middle of this, uh, the events of this book, let me give a quick uh, overview uh, took place during the reign of King Xerxes. Ahasuerus was his Jewish name. Between 485 and 464 BC, it's a true story. The setting is in Susa, modern day Iran. Um, and the king calls an extended 180 day banquet. Now that's my kind of party. 180 day banquet? Food and wine? I mean, they were like throwing down. And here they are in the midst of this party uh, and Queen Vashti disobeys her husband and is banished from his presence forever. 
ladies, there's a warning, okay? I don't know what that's about, but it's right there. Um, so a search was made for uh, Vashti's replacement, and the woman chosen from the entire 127 provincial empire was a lady named Hadassah. That's her Jewish name, or, or Esther as we know her. She was a Jewish girl whose cousin, Mordecai, became her legal guardian. And Mordecai likely served as the gatekeeper, as one of the gatekeepers, for King Xerxes. Um, at an earlier time, Mordecai had discovered a plot to kill the king, all right, among these gatekeepers, and uh, was uh, made sure that the king knew about it and, and was honored by the king. And, and the, the second in command, Haman, was irritated that, uh, that he wasn't receiving all of this glory and all of this uh, honor from, from the king. And so uh, he just is not very happy at all. And, and so what happens though is Haman is actually promoted during this time, all right? And, uh, and the king, King Xerxes, commands all the people to bow down to Haman. Well, Mordecai refuses. He refuses. And so Haman filled with fury, begins to plot against Mordecai, plot against the Jews. So he had the Persian monarch sign a decree for the destruction of the Jews on an appointed day. You know, the enemies always come after God's people over and over throughout history. There's a fly up here. I think he's kin to the spider from last night. So he had the king sign this decree and then Mordecai and all the Jews discover their fate and they begin to lament their impending doom. However, neither Haman nor the king are yet aware of Esther's ethnic background or the providential hand of God that was about to unfold through this unlikely tale of discipleship. This unlikely tale of discipleship. So here's my big question. Here it is. How did Mordecai and how can we participate with God and become tour guides for the Esthers of this generation? I believe it matters. I believe your participation with Jesus as a tour guide in this season of history is more important than it's ever been. So we're going to look at five short blocks of scripture uh, and five insights from the story. Um, let's look at uh, Esther chapter 2 verse 5 through 7. It says, Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of whatever, 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 who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away uh, with whoever, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, I can say that one, king of Babylon had carried away. He was, so Mordecai, he was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. Do you see that? Don't just skip past that. See that, feel that, own that. That's where she was. That's a vulnerable place. And that's really, really important for us to grasp the meaning behind the story. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. Okay. Here's what I want to say. Here's my insight from this passage. Mordecai said yes to the opportunity right in front of him. If we're going to be effective tour guides, if we're going to be effective disciples, if we're going to be effective in participating with Jesus, we just need to say yes to what's right in front of him. He did not have to adopt his cousin. 
He did not have to raise her, but what he did in this moment was he said yes to what was right in front of him instead of judging it unworthy of his attention. Come on, right there. What is that thing? Who is that person? What is that opportunity that God is saying, right here, right now, this belongs to you. Raise it. Raise it. Maybe something to do in it. Maybe someone to care for. But I believe that, that, that what unlocks Mordecai's influence in this book, and it's incredible where he comes from to where he ends up. Go read the book is that he said yes to what's right in front of him. He didn't try to overdo it. He just said yes to what's right in front of him. And here's been my prayer for us. God, over the next 30 days, show us what's right in front of us. Show us who is right in front of us and give us the courage and give us the love to engage, to engage. All right. This, this happened to me several times, but a lady named Sue Youngblood, when I was in high school, 17 years old, I was working at a place called Fitness World in Van Buren, Arkansas. And every morning I would show up at 5 a.m. before I would go to school. I would go 5 a.m. till 9 a.m. and I started school at 9. And every morning at 5 a.m., you know what she would have ready and prepared for me? She had obviously gotten there at about 4.30 or maybe earlier. She had a bowl of oatmeal and a Bible on a table and she would say, Josh, sit down. Let's talk before we start work. God used a bowl of oatmeal and a Bible to change my life. She had no idea who I was and what I was going to become, but she just said yes to what was right in front of her, this 17-year-old high school kid who didn't have a clue who he was. And she invested herself into me in such a way that changed the trajectory of my life. She started telling me things like, you have a spirit of David on your life. And you're called to greater things. You're set apart. And I'm like, what, what does all that mean? But I just kept believing her and I just kept showing up. She loved me and mothered me into this love for Jesus and his word and the nations. And then my friend Ron Harris, some of you may know Ron. Ron is just this big black guy who shouldn't have had anything to do with me. I'm on the team at the University of Arkansas, and I'm a walk-on. And the very first thing that I remember about Ron is we're in the Broyles complex when it was still um, there. And, and he walks up, and he gets his big finger, and he points it into my face. And he goes, I've been looking for you. I said, me? You have? Why? Because God's got something on your life. He was a tour guide. He said yes to what was right in front of him. There was 104 other players that were, had a lot more potential than me on that team. But he saw something. He said yes to what was right in front of him. He believed in me. Let's go to the second passage here. Esther chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. It says, Now when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, sitting at the king's gate, Esther had not made known her, uh, her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her for Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she brought, was brought up by him. In those days as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, there it is again, uh, 
Big Than. I wish my parents would have named me Big Than. Big Than, that's a great name. Big Than and Teresa. Two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold became angry and sought to lay hands on the king. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther. And Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. Okay, here's my point. Here's the insight from this, this passage. He positioned himself to be used by God, all right? Ten times throughout the book of Esther, we learn that that Mordecai positioned himself at the king's gate. And it says it over and over and over again. And I began to think and pray, God, what does this mean? And here's what I came away with. Mordecai was wise enough in the midst of a foreign land to position himself in proximity to authority. Did y'all see that? He was wise enough to position himself in proximity to the one who made the rules and called the shots. That's what I'm calling wisdom. It takes me straight to Matthew 28. Jesus, right, before he tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, he says, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And now you have my ear. Go, make disciples, stand in my place among the nations. Tell them I'm not counting their sins against them. Tell them I love them. Tell them of the purpose that I have for their life. I'm going to prove it, but I want you guys to go, go tell them. Be my evangelists. Go tell my story. Will you do it? I have the authority. Stay in proximity to me. And if we're going to be effective disciple makers, if we're planning to participate with Jesus in seeing heaven established on earth, we must position ourselves in proximity to authority. We must find ourselves in the place of prayer. And I want to recommend a book to you by Bob Sorge. If you haven't read it or haven't even heard of it, it's called Secrets of the Secret Place. And Jesus makes a promise in Matthew chapter six. He goes, whatever you ask for in secret, I will make happen publicly. You see, we have this crazy invitation by the king, the one with all authority. He goes, if you'll come to me and you'll pray, if you'll give me yourself in that place of prayer, Whatever you ask, according to my will, I'll do it. I'll do it. And I'm telling you, Jesus was serious about that. He wasn't just throwing that out as a tease. We have authority in the name of Jesus. We are no longer in Adam. We are no longer in Adam and and positioned in a place of lack of authority. We are positioned in Christ. And we have been given authority in him. Amen? Esther chapter three, verse two. Let's go to part three here. It says, and all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. I love it. I love this. Number three, this insight is that he refused to be gripped or guided by fear. Refused to be gripped or guided by fear. And I really wrestled with how to present this this insight because it's obvious what happened there, but how did he get there? And this is what I came away with. He trained himself how to respond to fear. Don't, Don't miss this. He was living in the midst of a foreign land and fear was his everyday reality. I wonder what the story is of how he became a part of the king's gate. I wonder how he approached positioning himself in proximity to authority so that he could be used by God. Through saying yes to what's right in front of him, I believe that Mordecai developed an immunity to fear. It's not that he didn't get fear. It didn't, it it tried to grip him over and over, 
but he had learned how to manage his inner world by showing up again and again in spite of fear. He just saw fear as data, as feedback. Oh, I must be heading the right direction. So that's where we're at. That's where we're at. This man, Mordecai, refused to be gripped or guided by fear. And I think in our season of history, fear is raging. And we need to be purposeful about putting ourselves in positions to train our hearts and our minds how to respond to fear. Because fear is going to happen. It's not that we can be fearless. We're not designed like that. But we are designed to overcome fear by what? By faith. By faith. It's so important that we get the word of God in us because faith comes by hearing. Romans 10. All right, part four. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, because when Mordecai didn't bow down, I mean, he really ticked off the, the, the government officials here, okay? Haman and the rest, and, and Haman began to come after him, and he made this decree and this mandate to go after all the Jews. Um, and when, when Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and, and get this, he went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. Here's my point and my insight for this. He was willing to publicly cry out to God for a generation. Can I just say this is happening in our community already? Where is, where is Dennis, the, the, my man that, that leads the prayer room? Is he in here today? I just want to honor this man because something's happening in that prayer room. And I just want to um, encourage you, go visit the prayer room. We have a prayer room in the middle of a city where we can cry out to God for a generation. And those gatekeepers who sit at the front of that, they're positioning themselves to the one with all authority. Take advantage of the prayer room. This is an incredible opportunity that we have right here in our city. The Ozark worship nights that have been happening for five years have been us positioning ourselves in the place of authority. The loft prayer opportunity that's on our website is about us positioning ourselves to the place of authority. And it's all about us publicly crying out to God for a generation. Publicly crying out to God for a generation. Family, I am not willing to lose this generation. I'm not willing to lose this generation. I will do anything for my sons and my daughters. I will do anything to make sure that they know truth and righteousness and a God that loves them and invested his life for them so that they can walk in this discipleship relationship and fulfill the destiny that God has for their life. Number five. So Mordecai responds after he's crying out. And he says, Esther, you've got to do something. You've got to go talk to the king. And Esther uh, responds to the king here in, in chapter four, verse 11 through 14. This is probably the most famous passage of this book. It says, and this is Esther speaking. She says, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death. 
except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called. And I believe that's been a, a lie that the enemy has put into our minds. That I just want to pause and I just want to just change the narrative. Because if you believe you have not been called, all you're listening to are the earthly kings of the world. But the heavenly king, can I remind you, has called you. He has anointed you, has chosen you for such a time as this. You don't have to keep waiting. You can engage. You can participate. As you're following Jesus, he's transforming you. So it goes on to say, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself. And I feel like that, that Mordecai had wrestled with these same thoughts. He's like, because I'm sure that he wanted to go into his like private world and just like try to lean into his relationship with the king. He had a pretty good relationship with the king. He's like, maybe I can save myself. But instead he went out into the streets publicly to begin crying out for a generation. And, and he says, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For you keep, if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows? whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Here's the insight. He challenged Esther with hard truth built on hope. Hard truth that was built on hope. We've got some dangerous days ahead. No question about it. Just go read the back of the book. I love what my friend, I'm going to invite Stephen and Betsy Ruales to come up and join me on the platform as we close out this part of the service. He said this the other day, I met this couple on Tuesday and he looks at me and I, I, I mean, you know when someone speaks and there's just spirit attached to what he just said? He says, this generation is not looking for something to live for, they're looking for something to die for. And I thought, whoa. That is so right. It's so powerful. They're not looking to live long and retire and play golf and spend the rest of their life in this really boring reality that makes no difference in the earth. They have lived and grown up in a post 9-11 world. Everything is being shaken in their eyes. And here we are, the tour guides, those probably 25 and up. And we have an opportunity to lead them into something that matters along someone who matters. So I want to give you five quick points and I'm going to interview this couple. They're incredible. Here's, here's, here's your takeaways, five things. Number one, say yes to opportunities right in front of you. Just say yes. Let this be a season of you saying yes. There's opportunities coming right in this house in the next few weeks. Say yes. Just say yes. Just sign up. Just say yes. To people who come into your life, just say yes, okay? right in front of you. You don't have to go looking for it. It will find you. Number two, position yourself at the king's gate. Position yourself in proximity to the one who has all authority in the place of prayer. Number three, refuse to be gripped or guided by fear. Number four, I want us to shamelessly cry out for a generation as a church. I echoed what Jim preached last week. I want revival. I want to see the Lord just sweep over this city in a way that impacts the entire nation, that impacts the entire world. Why not us? Why not now? 
but I believe he's waiting for us to shamelessly go out into the city and to cry out. Number five, don't sugarcoat the journey. It's gonna be costly for this generation. It's gonna be costly for our sons and our daughters. It's gonna be costly, Morgan. It's gonna be costly when we say yes to Jesus. It's gonna be costly. He's not inviting us into a better life. He's inviting us to come and join him on a cross and die with him so that we might live and those who are with us live also. That is the call to discipleship. So Stephen and Betsy, thank you guys for joining me up here. I love this couple so much. Again, I met them on Tuesday uh, and they're just such a powerful couple. Betsy's a daughter of this house. She's a daughter of, she's one of ours. Isn't that incredible? And these are our missionaries. These are people that we have the privilege of sending and they're in Ecuador right now. They're leaving next week. Um, You're 26, 24. They've been married for two years. Come on, somebody, two years. Yeah. I'm so proud of you guys. And I, I couldn't deliver this message after talking to you on Tuesday without having you guys join me. And I was just praying a few days ago, please God, don't let them leave until Monday. Please God, don't let them... And thankfully, they didn't leave. I don't know if they stayed just for this, but I I doubt it. But um, So I made this quote earlier, and I I, I want you guys to share a little bit with us. But I said, every discipleship story leans upon a leadership story. Yes. Every Esther needs a Mordecai. And and what does this mean? It means that somebody prayed with you guys. Somebody participated with you, partnered with Jesus in order to kind of pull you into where you are right now. So take a minute. Who have been those people? people for you? Who, who have been the Mordecais yes. in your story? I'd love to hear that from yeah. both of you, briefly, yes. if possible. Th- thank you so much for the opportunity. And uh, three people come to mind to me. Uh, I'm fully Ecuadorian, and you can hear it in my accent for sure. But there were three people that impacted my life. Number one, uh, I would say Ronald Bertraw and, and Bonnie Bertraw. These people, I didn't have, uh, we had a complicated housing situation when I was going to JVU. And I didn't have anybody to stay with. And these two pastors say, well, we want you guys to come stay with us. And for three years, uh, literally, they prayed for us. They taught us how to do do family. It was my brother and I. Um, They taught us how to do family. They taught us uh, how to walk with Jesus, how to, you know, ask the Holy Spirit. And they would always pray for us. He showed me what it was like to have a father that loved me. Uh, Ron is about 80 years old, but he walked with me through it all. Um, my, the, my second one would be my older brother, David. Uh, David was my voice of righteousness. When I was a wild kid, because uh, I was a pretty wild kid in, in any area, he would tell me, bro, that's not okay. And I remember I didn't like him telling me that with my rebellious spirit, right? But he was a voice of truth in my life. And my third one uh, would be my best friend, Esteban. Uh, he taught me what it was like to have intimacy with God. I remember when he became a believer, uh, he would come to my house and tell me, bro, let's, get, let's pray together. And he would pray with me for hours, and we would come go on, out man. and pray for people on That's the streets. Awesome. Praise God. Betsy, how about you? That's so cool. And here, I mean, I spent high school here at New Heights, and so, you know, people like Kathleen Hood just setting aside time, aside time to just be with the other girls and I, and I just remember as you were talking about people just taking the opportunities that were right in front of them to get plugged into student ministry, to college ministry, and just be present. It's not about having a perfect life and looking exactly like Jesus in this moment. It's what areas in my life can I sow into the next generation, and that changed me. Um, And then the other couple would be John and Amy Aller in Germany, and they just, 
took me in. They let me see marital conflict. They let me see how they raised their kids. They let me see the mess of transitioning cross-culturally. And that has impacted so much of the way we do things at our home and the way I walk my life. So, You guys give us a quick story about what's happening in Ecuador. And then, um, go ahead. Yeah, whatever you guys. Um, so we walk in discipleship with the young adults in Ecuador. And a lot of what we do is the nitty gritty as well of just walking through the mess with these guys and girls. And this past year, one of the girls that we met, um, her name is Martina. And we've been on lockdown for about 15 months, doing everything online, everything on Zoom calls. And one of the girls reached out to us about two weeks into the pandemic and said, hey, I've been walking in a homosexual relationship. She was 17, 18. Um, she said, I, I don't want anything to do with it. I want transformation. Um, and so she came to us and said, I need, I need freedom. I need to walk away from this. I need help. Um, so she just started learning. We started pointing her to scripture. She started reading, doing all these research papers on, on what the Bible says about all these hot topics. And she was the one coming to us and saying, this is what the Lord is convicting me of. And we just turned her to prayer. And so in the midst of all of this, now 15 months later, she's leading college students on her campus. Um, she's walking in purity. She's praying for her future husband. Um, and she, we haven't even met her. We hadn't met her for 15, 16 months. And she showed up to our prayer room one day and we got to meet with her and just cry together, pray together. I and mean, we've just seen the Lord do incredible things, even through a Zoom call. I love that. I love that. Give them a hand. Thank you. I want to invite, uh, as we enter into um, kind of the ministry portion of our service, I want to invite you to stand up with me. Um, and I just felt led that Stephen was supposed to pray for us as a young man, 26. He told me, he goes, I'm discipling people twice my age in Ecuador. I'm, I'm, I mean, it's ridiculous how God's using my life as a, and they have that father and mother spirit on them. And I just feel like he's got something to give to us. I just asked him, would you pray for us? Would you pray uh, that God would make what's happening in Ecuador and, and, and revival here in Northwest Arkansas uh, a reality? So just take a minute and pray for us, and then we'll go right into worship. Oh, Father, we give you the glory you, and the honor right now. I pray, I pray for this church and Thank the American Lord. church. As our young people are being discipled many times by Instagram and TikTok, Lord. I pray for fathers and mothers to raise yes, up. Lord. I pray, Father, for people that catch the heart of what it means yes, to Lord. pour out their lives for others, Lord. Mm. That others would come, that the younger generation, the next generation would rise up yes. on fire. Crazy for you, Lord. Crazy for your word. Crazy you, to reach people that are unreached. Father, I pray that you would ignite hearts this morning in the name of Jesus. Hearts that have been asleep or hearts that have been passive or hearts that have been yes, in Lord. fear. Yes. Father, we bind the spirit of fear in, yes, the in the name of Jesus. And I pray for courage yes. to reach the younger generation. I ask for people, Lord, that would weep, that would yes. cry out with, with Father, uh, moans and groans, Lord, saying, Lord, bring this generation to know you. And I ask you, Lord, to bring people that would teach the next generation what it means to walk in the fear of God yes. and in righteousness. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. 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 Let's worship.